All right, everyone rolling? Yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, uh, well, um, let me just make sure my bourbon's cold, and then uh, <laughs> we'll get... Hey, you make sure your bourbon is cold, and I'll make sure that my wine is unboxed. <laughs> mm, boxed wine. You guys are dropping me already. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to do a workout after this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to be, yeah, powered by Franzia. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll get rolling. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once more to WHBP, the cycling podcast for people who cycle. I'm Greg. With me, as always, is Matteo. Hey, Matteo. How you doing? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm actually really excited because today is a very special edition of WHBP because we are being joined by a very special guest. Do you have any idea who it is? Are you asking me or the audience? Uh, let's let's you. let's let's put this one out to the audience. Audience, do you have any idea who's with us today? We'll let you chew on that for a minute. In the meantime, <laughs> okay. Please welcome uh, Dave Kirkpatrick. Sorry, I'm going to say that wrong. Dave Kirkpatrick of November Bicycles. Hey guys. Hey, hey. Thanks we're really glad us, you. Uh, yeah, seriously. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, with that out of the way, I think I think we'll dive right in. So I was hoping that we'd be able to talk a little bit, first of all, about kind of the origin story for November. You can tell us, you know, I guess it's your opportunity to plug November a little bit. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I figure you've got a lot of thoughts on things about industry kind of stuff and how people think of the industry and price performance and uh, tech kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, there could be some, some cool things to, to chat about. So... I guess to begin with, um, what is November Bicycles, and, and how did you guys get started? Okay, uh, November Bicycles is, let's start with the name, and Phil Gaiman, yeah. which I think is how you, I've read it a zillion times, I've never heard it, is that how you say his name? I think so. Um, he tweeted sometime in this this past November, a better articulation of where the name comes from than we've ever actually done ourselves. And, and, and his was basically November, the new season's begun and everything's possible. Right. Um, yeah. And that's sort of where the name came from. It's also really, really hard to name a business if you've ever had to do it. <laughs> um, you, you, you kick a million of these things around and, and they all sound dumb. And then you pick, the one that sounds the least dumb and then it sounds dumb on its own. But, um, so that's where the name came from and it was tied into how we started, which was our original stuff that we sold was we sold a, uh, a road frame and then a set of carbon tubulars and a set of aluminum clinchers. And, and those were our products. Um, and we opened them for sale in November of 2010 and we delivered them in the preseason of 2011, and we were rolling. And since then, we've gone a lot of different places with with products, but we've generally had a, uh, you know, I would call it a forward progression with things. Um, interestingly, the one thing that we were trying to do at the outset was to do a really good component level frame, which remains 
probably the most difficult thing to to supply uh, that you possibly can, mostly because to do carbon the way carbon's produced now, um, it requires a heavy volume in order to do it efficiently. And you're spreading that volume over a bunch of different sizes and you have to pay for it very early. So you're, you're in this totally untenable cash flow situation where you have to front, you know, the biggest check you've ever written, watch that go for four months. And then one day your frames come and you've discovered that you got the size mix totally wrong. And (laughs) it's kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, so e- e- even if we back up a little bit, Dave, like what what made you think, man, in order to do what I want to do, I have to start my own company. I have to source products and supply products and design products. What Great was, question. What was that realization? Um, yeah, so I was uh, my partner, whose name is Mike May, uh, who is more in the background these days than I am. Uh, he and I raced together and he ran a a pretty good website pretty uh, pretty popular really well known some people listening to this will remember it uh called gam jams which was focused on mid-atlantic cycling and i did a lot of writing for him and we met and became friends became teammates and he had set up this team that i was on and a bunch of our friends were on it and uh and he tried to get us bikes and at the same time, my wife was sort of showing an interest in racing, and we walked into a bike shop that we lovingly call Van Cleef and Arpels. Um, that's not its name, but it's about as expensive. And, uh, you know, and, and we're basically staring down like, you know, I'm interested in this sport. Well, here's the $5,500 entry fee to it. Uh, and we decided that that was ridiculous. So between Mike's experience trying to get frames for the team which by the way was a totally extravagant move but he wanted to make a really cool team (laughs) and it was a cool team um and then my sort of frustration with you know if this is what normal people go through getting into cycling this thing has the clock ticking like nobody's going to do this because this is insane um so we had the impetus there we had sort of learned too much to to put the genie back in the bottle so to speak uh and we just went from there we found a uh, a guy over in taiwan who was happy to work with us trying to find what we needed uh what we wanted and this all the the period of time that i'm talking about right now is 2009 going into 2010 um so then 2010 the early part of the year we spent uh just testing stuff out seeing what we liked what we didn't like um bashing stuff you know riding riding road bikes off road which you know now is a thing but we used to just do it as a (laughs) see what breaks (laughs) back in the days when instagram was still restricted to iphones people didn't ride road bikes off road (laughs) if only we'd been a little cooler um but uh, bikes weren't a thing yeah. yeah so uh we settled on on some stuff uh 
off to the races. Yeah, so so at this point, were you are you designing stuff, or are you no, no, no. kind of bringing over like open mold kind of stuff? Uh, we were or? we were totally open mold, and to in in quite a bit of contrast to the way a lot of other people were doing it, we were just bald faced telling people that that all of our stuff was open mold. We were. Um, yeah sort of as honest as we could be about that or honest or open, whatever you want to call it, transparent. Yeah. We should, we should actually explain just in case any listeners don't know what, what open mold is. Well, maybe, maybe Dave is the person who actually <laughs> operates in, 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 in the industry. You can explain that briefly. Yeah. So, um, open mold is, is, is basically a white label or a, you know, call it a generic without that necessarily being a pejorative thing. Um, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's an unbranded product that, a company, a manufacturer will make, uh, selling it sort of on an OEM basis to be rebranded by other people. Uh, and that's really simply what it is. And it exists in, in almost every industry. A friend of mine is a really big player in, um, what are basically open mold ski jackets, right? So like there's, there's different, avenues for it but uh but it's yeah it's real simple so you get a frame that's been designed by somebody uh that company's cut a mold for it um you know engineered the layup uh and just like everything else there's there's a scale of quality and a scale of cost and you know some of them are awesome and some of them are frightening and dangerous and at the time that we started there were some really big names and there are still some really big names that, that use open mold stuff. Um, the thing that we found off putting was when people would say, Oh yeah, you know, we, we, we had this mold made for us or we engineered the layup. Um, and once you know a fair amount about it, it gets (laughs) way too easy to see, uh, where that stuff is coming down on the pants on fire scale. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the, the open mold stuff is really interesting because I just went to eBay and I searched carbon bike frame and like, you know, the third thing that came up is, you know, something from Hong Kong that costs 400 bucks for a frame and a fork. And it looks pretty cool. And, you know, you can see styling cues from some of the, you know, other bikes from the past couple of years. And when you're talking about like, you know, you mentioned going into the, the fancy shop and, you know, trying to to get a bike for your wife to start racing and so many things starting at around $5,500. Like, if you don't just have, like, the cash to spend, you start to wonder, like, what what's the value and, and where can I get it as a reasonable person? And, I, you know, you also mentioned, like, the, the spectrum of cost. Like, you know, uh, one person can buy, like, a $400 carbon frame fork and seat post on ebay um but i've also seen you know companies selling open mold frame sets you know retailing for like between two and three thousand dollars and like that that range you know i think like has made some people really suspect of the idea of open mold without the transparency of like yeah we're buying stuff from overseas and we're selling it to you because there's good stuff and we can do qc for you yeah. Um, and, and that's really it, right? You've got everything from, from 
totally anonymous stuff to uh, there was cyclocross magazine had a had a nice frame on review and it was uh it was a it was a big brand a big ish you know it wasn't track but it was you know like ibis although i don't think that was it but it was like that level of company and um and they went and said well this frame looks an awful awful lot like this other one and they they (laughs) went to the company and they said hey is this the same thing and they were like yeah it is you know because it's really really expensive to to do your own mold you have to have a lot of volume the way these things work is you know the 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 molds themselves can cost easily ten thousand bucks per size um so you're doing six eight sizes that's that's a lot of capital on the other hand that's incredible that's 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 a huge i hadn't even uh i mean boy oh yeah that's that's more (laughs) than i'd even imagine yeah it's big dough um and then uh you've got it's having come before this whole shenanigans of of being in the bike business i spent a lot of time in the boat building business and um when you when you straight up copy one boat's shape and make a mold of it that's called a splash and uh it's really really easy to do a similar to exactly the same thing with a bike obviously you just sort of make a a uh a female mold from you know buy a frame and you can basically take you know modeling putty and make a crude mold out of it and uh and you're off to the races or you can scan it digitally um there's a bunch of different ways to skin the cat um but there are also different qualities of of mold obviously so uh Mm. you've got different materials different tolerances you know some of this some of the wheels that we've seen and, and we try and stay on top of at least some of what's out there i mean there's there's such a huge volume of it and you don't know where it's all coming from um which is a whole 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 nother topic but um you know some of the molds are within you know hundredths of a millimeter tenths of a millimeter for sure you know one tenth of a millimeter of tolerance and some are like you're kidding me how are you going to go in a straight line with this thing mm-hmm. so uh yeah. you know it's all over the map and it's it really unfortunately is a bit of the wild wild west for consumers so is this kind of the role that that a company like november can can play in uh selling you know these generic or, or open mold products is well, Matteo said doing the QC is, is you have the opportunity to go in and test all this stuff. Yep. Well, we actually more, the kind of seminal moment of November as a, as a company really was, uh, let me see if I get the year right. It was June of 2012 when, uh, Mike bought a set of wheels just on the, hey let's you know stay in touch with what's out there and somehow he had been put on the scent of wider wheels being kind of nice so he bought a Mm. set of wheels built around velocity a23 rims and uh and he got on them and he loved them 
And oddly enough, they had White Industries hubs on them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. So he said, dude, you got to try these. Like, holy crap. And, uh, so was this, were you trying these on the road or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. on cross? Uh, that so was actually... Dave, that, that's awesome because like Greg and I have argued about the effect of wide rims and I have like this clear memory of putting wheels with wide rims on my bike for the first time and thinking like, well, you know, I've like read about the benefits. I wonder if I'm going to feel it because I usually like don't feel the kind of things that other people talk about, you know, stiffness and compliance and suppleness of tires and blah, blah, blah. And like... From the first time, like, I turned the bike with those wheels underneath, I immediately felt it. You know, from the first crack in the pavement, it was, like, tangible difference. And I was like, okay, this is probably the best innovation going on right now. And a lot of people feel it, and a lot of people don't. For me, it was going through corners. Mm-hmm. It mm. was, I, I remember super clearly, uh, this is jumping ahead a little bit, a little ways, but when we had our own rims, there's this race in Pennsylvania, like an Omnium style stage race. And I had done okay in the, uh, in the crit. Cause I'm pretty good at crits, pretty good meaning mediocre at best. And I'm <laughs> about the same at time trialing, but because of the way the thing is scored, uh, you know, it's points. So I was in like a pretty good position in the road going into the road race and i was like okay well here's going to be you know this sort of non-technical road race with a with a flat finish and i'm going to get 87th and and my gc position is going to go down to pot and uh but the 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 laps of this course were you know you did like four laps of it and there were a lot of turns going into the finish and i sprint like cold cement i mean i am the worst sprinter in the history of sprinting but (laughs) <laughs> I would just practice going through this thing every lap. And I was like, this is unfair. Like, I can turn the bike so much better than these guys that I just went, you know, and I was like third wheel through all the turns. And then, yeah, a couple of guys, you know, put on the watts and smashed me. But um, but I was far enough ahead that I wound up doing great in the thing. And I was like, well, that's the benefit right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's in, and that's clearly, you know, whether, whether or not everyone feels it. I mean, I, I think I'm on the record as, uh, I, I'm kind of not sure on road, but totally very, very noticeable difference in cyclocross. And that's, you know, especially if you're, um, riding, you know, tubeless or clinchers or something. But, but yeah, that, that's, that's the direction to go. Cause now, of course, is hardly anyone is even making, you know, quote unquote traditional with, rims anymore no no i mean even even mavic is walking away slowly and they're like (laughs) the outpost (laughs) they were yeah they Um, have held out almost admirably you know like long after everyone else mavic was still like nope we are still the french yep and and you know hey as you say props to them they had a position and they stuck to it you know i mean if you think it's right don't change just because the wind's blowing that way. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of trend following in this industry. There's a little bit. <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah. But uh, sort of going back to to uh, just after Mike got that set of wheels, we sort of looked at each other and, uh, you know, it was when we had the proverbial pot 
and the window to throw it out of uh, finally after a couple of years we looked at each other we're like so how do we reconcile you know we're doing carbon clinchers now uh, how do we get one that's wide and the answer was we make one so we started that road and and we had never really had any idea of doing that until you know this was this was the thing that that put us on that path and and it took about six months to go from there to having a prototype that we this big heavy plastic thing that I knock my head on every time I make a sandwich in the office now but um, <laughs> that was like a PVC rim that we built up and sent to a2 wind tunnel in North Carolina and tested it against a 404 and it did really really well and uh, it was an interesting design project and an interesting bit of gulp when uh, you know as I said I have a, a bit of a background in sailing so I took a sail shape basically and translated it into the rim shape because the aerodynamics of the thing made really good intuitive sense to me and uh and i was like all right mike well uh you know i'm pretty confident but there's a big check we got to write to uh see if i'm right or wrong and he said well we got to do it so we did it and uh and it worked out fine it yeah. worked out better than fine so that sort of took us out of the open mold business um really for good and for all because the frames had had already more or less fallen by the wayside just because of the cash flow and and size difficulties uh that i was telling you about before yeah so then we really became a a, a wheel company with that for uh for a good couple of years and then we did the the italian bikes which are pretty in blue and sort of needlessly nice <laughs> those are those are very pretty. These are the the Timonaria. Yeah, how you say it? yeah, even... Timonaria. Which um, the, our original frame was called the Wheelhouse, uh, which we thought was a actually a good name. We like that name a lot. <laughs> but uh, so Wheelhouse translated as closely closely as you can into Italian is, is Timonaria. Mm. So uh, so that's that what we sense. went with. It sounds good. It's got a it's got a nice ring to Why, it. Why? Thank you. So, <laughs> so um, gosh, I, I I almost wish you still made a cyclocross frame. Oh, a lot of people do, and we wish we did too. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, but that that was, I mean, talk about a perfect storm of because add the sizing and the cash flow and all that stuff, and then do you do a disc break or a canty break? Because this is 2011, 2012. Yeah, that's an easier question to answer now. Now, <laughs> yeah, sure. But then, <laughs> uh, so so we did a you know we did a really nice cross bike that was uh, you know it was pretty reasonable. Um, there's actually a, a funny story about it turning out to be the same as another bike that I won't tell enough people know about it. But. Uh, <laughs> I wound up with the with the disc brake version of that bike, and that's still my bike to this day right yep yep senior senior racing that one it's got a really hacked together okay. back end they didn't make like a proper 
mold for the back end. Yeah, it's peculiar looking. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. But I'm bad it at works. riding it, so it works well together. <laughs> well. Okay, so, some, so, so something I, I, I was curious about with respect to, you know, it, it's, it's great. It's so great that you got the kind of um, price and performance for your kind of work-a-day racer or even, even recreational uh, rider out, out there in, in your origin story kind of stuff because um, I definitely wanted to, to bring that up because, man, there's so much incredibly expensive stuff out there to buy. Um, it's really overwhelming, and there's, there's very much this sense of... Um, you know, am I going to be fast enough without laying out, you know, $6,000 for my full kit? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate that, that I, I gather anyway, you know, that, that you guys are trying to make products that can satisfy, you know, trying to find that balance, right, of, of bang for buck. Sure. And so I just wonder about how... Uh, I don't know. How do you make those decisions and, and figure out what to do? One, one example that I think is kind of cool is, as I understand it, so you build most of your wheels with the Sapem laser spokes, mm-hmm. not the CX-ray right. spokes. Yeah. Yeah. Could, like, is that sort of just the one thing? or, or No, is no, that... no, no, no. I mean, we... we uh, so in between... Now and when I was screwing around with sailboats for a living, uh, I was a construction manager. And the thing that construction managers do as much as anything else is called value engineering, um, where you say, okay, architect or designer or whomever, you've spec this thing. Here is a performance equivalent or here is, you know, whatever it is um, that's going to save us x amount of dollars on the project and you know or 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 introduce some efficiency into it that will be you know a net gain to the project um so i sort of have that as a you know a gene that's been mutated into my my makeup um and i just look for that all the time but the i mean quite simply the biggest value engineering piece that you can do is to shrink supply chains um the the typical thing that you buy in a shop and we're, we're often sort of painted with the brush of being anti-shop, which is in, in its broadest sense, not true at all. Um, if, if the world was, you know, exclusively populated with, with really good shops, examples of which are out there for sure, you know, we would back out of the building and, and let them to it. But unfortunately, that ain't the case. Um, anyway, um, you've got, you know, in the case of your typical bike, you've got uh, a frame manufacturer that's not the company whose name is on it. Um, there are very, very, very few companies that actually build their frames. Trek is the only one I can, you know, track time. The French like to build their stuff. Um, sure. And then there's, there's giant, of course. Yeah, giant, giant builds everybody's frames in their own. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yep. so, so you've got a, a company that's a brand that's come up with the design, and then they ship that to their producer, and then their producer ships that to an assembler, and then that assembler ships that to a distributor, and then the distributor ships it to a shop. Um, you know, and that's sort of a, a minimum case of it. And... Uh, 
And if you figure that every link in that chain needs to get paid, then... Right. I mean, a 40% margin, which is, you know, that's a retail margin. Um, every time a retail margin gets in there, the, the price of the thing gets multiplied by 1.65. Yeah. So that adds up quickly. So there's a lot of people getting paid in our in our uh, in our case our you know our carbon rims we cut the PO to the people that produce them they get initial QC'd by our agent over there who takes a fee and then uh, and then we get them and build them over here and and sell them to you so that's uh, you know just us between you and the and the actual carbon shop uh so that's that's a huge price advantage that goes in there but going back to your example of the lasers that that's you know sort of where the pencil gets a little sharper um in that initial wind tunnel test that i told you about with our prototype we had some things that we were curious about that are you know argued ad infinitum on forums and people still to this day like to trot out the question and um (laughs) You know, one of the things that we like to say is, why sit around here and argue what we don't know when we could go test it and know? (laughs) So we took otherwise identical wheels, one built with lasers and one built with CX rays, and uh, threw them in the wind tunnel one after the other. And their translational drag difference was one watt. Uh, The reason I specify that translational drag is because translational drag is the power that it takes to go through the wind. And then there's also uh, power to spin or, you know, rotational drag, if you will. Um, And this discussion always follows a script where, you know, translational drag is the drag that we talk about when we talk about wind tunnel stuff. It's, it's sort of the, the headline one. And then power to spin is, is how many Watts does it take this, does it take to get this wheel spinning at, you know, X speed, which is generally 30 miles an hour. Um, and there's like this huge range of, of, of suppositions out there. And unfortunately the preeminent wind tunnel doesn't give you a measure for it. But fortunately, Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Coggin, whose book I'm looking across my office at right now, uh, he's the author of Racing and Training, or the co-author of Racing and Training with a Power Meter. He does a lot of work with this kind of stuff, and he's calibrated a bunch of wind tunnels, and he actually, very cool thing, um, he got involved in a discussion on our Facebook page uh, about a oh, year cool. ago when, when we were having this you know unproductive discussion about it, and he said, look, it it's, takes three watts to spin a great wheel and it takes five watts to spin a terrible wheel that's it power to spin's a red herring i've done it case closed yeah so uh (laughs) that's good because i was going to ask you about that i i I feel like people talk a lot about spinning up wheels and and, uh, i think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the physics involved (laughs) yeah in a bicycle yeah there so (laughs) um so so that's sort of uh the you know the I needed to address it because there is a script that the world follows and and then, Mm. you know, somebody is out there jumping up and down in their chair listening to this saying, but power to spin, power to spin. (laughs) So, um, so, you know, as Forrest Gump says, that's what I have to say about that. 
so yeah. <laughs> so the difference between lasers and and CX rays is not very big. Um, you know, if you're Tony Martin going for the world, you're going to give away that watt. Not a chance. You know, you're spending fifteen hundred bucks on a on a set of wheels that purports to be really aerodynamic. Um, yep, that makes sense. But there are a lot of wheel sets out there where the spokes are the most expensive component. You've got um, you know, X dollars worth of rims and X dollars worth of hubs and, and you know, 1.1 X dollars worth of spokes. And to us, that sounded like a pretty poor equation. So um, that's that brings yeah. up like a good issue. You know, you mentioned like obviously, you know, Tony Martin and someone someone who's trying to like maximize every advantage should buy or demand or be given every advantage but like we're we're ordinary joes you and me and so like like where's the line like what what to you screams like good enough for ordinary people that it's 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 really good I mean, I mean, for every you know what, here that, that was almost like a red herring because I, I could probably answer that question by like going to your website and looking at your product, which I assume that, like, you're, you're making stuff that you, you want to, like, sell, but you, that you want to ride. We wouldn't sell anything that we wouldn't ride, yeah. for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, for every person, there's, there's, a, there's a different answer to that equation. Um, for, you know, there's the, you know, the nobody got fired for buying I, IBM stuff mentality, which puts you on a, you know, a tarmac or a Vanga uh, with 404s. How do you even say that? I don't know. You chunder it every time guys, like I do. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, with that. They're, they're good. They're good things, you know? I mean, they're well-made, but yeah. they're expensive, you know, and a lot of people don't want to bite the apple that hard. Um, you know, fortunately now you can sort of triangulate a bunch of information that's out there and, and make your own decision about, okay, well, you know, it's, it's this amount of a quantifiable difference. And, you know, and we've, we've really actually spent a lot of, a lot of effort and a lot of money, um, trying to quantify that stuff, you know, when we went to the to the wind tunnel the first time, we we made a very, very definite point of of comparing the wheel that we were preparing to bring to market or seeing if we were going to bring to market against the 404 and not like some punching dummy 32 spoke box section. Um, you know, it was a relevant comparison. You're not if you're in the market for aero wheels, it's not right, an aero wheel or the worst wheel. Axiom. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Like, you know, duh. it's it's not this totally bimodal choice. It's it's shading. So, um, you know, as a follow up to to that first trip, we've done a couple more, and uh, one that we did last summer was this is this turns into a great example. Um, we took some shallower carbon wheels, um, and we also took some, you know, mid depth alloys, which are, you know, a shallow carbon is deeper than a mid-depth alloy. Um, so we took, like, the Pacenti SL23 and a Kinlan rim mm -hmm. and then an NV34 front and our Rail 34 and 
put them in the cage match in the wind tunnel. And it turned out that the, the alloy wheels were, you know, within a pretty good shout of, of the aerodynamics of the carbon wheels. Uh, oh, that makes me happy. Well, and, and I've got those Pisanis. And then fast forward 12 months and we needed to, uh, do a new mold for the 34s to keep producing them. And, uh, cause molds wear out over time. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there and we're like, okay, so what's the use case for this? You know, you want a climbing wheel. Okay. Well, I just built a set of wheels that had Senti rims and tune hubs. And they were like 1,360 grams. And, you know, the, the NV2, uh, sorry, the NV2.0, I think, is the new one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is stated to be prioritizing weight over aerodynamics. So, you know, draw your own conclusion about where that lines up against the 3.4. And this isn't a slide on NV. They make good stuff. But, um, you know, when you're talking about clinchers, which is what everybody wants to buy, that weight-optimized shallow carbon, you know, climbing carbon clincher is heavier at 2800 bucks than this set of alloys that I put together um, that cost, you know, 800 Wow. So <laughs> not that far off in the aerodynamics, probably. I, I I would actually bet the rest of the money we're going to make this year that the the Pacenti is is faster aerodynamically. Wow. But um, <laughs> but uh, and you know we had more spokes in the rear wheel of the of the alloy set I'm talking about. So you know, fronts are structurally very sound things. Rears get a little more challenging and the, and the rim plays a pretty, pretty big part in how many spokes you need there. But, um, but we also tested rear wheel aerodynamics by, uh, going to the tunnel again and putting, you know, a deep rear wheel in a setup and then swapping it out for a shallow rear wheel. And, you know, as it turns out, like we thought before doing it, um, the rear wheel makes not that much difference. You know, again, when you're Tony Martin, use a disc. It makes a difference. It's just not a big difference. And having tested the effect of spoke count in front wheel aerodynamics a year prior, you know, I can make as educated a statement as probably is available to be made putting four extra spokes into your rear wheel does precisely squat to the aerodynamics of it good good news everyone so you can uh <laughs> throw in a few more spokes in that back wheel and uh 20 you know, make your life a little easier well it just it it makes the, the wheel a little stiffer and it makes it last a little longer and and you know we're you're you're you know stacked up nine deep behind some guy who's just a freak on the front you know slaughtering <laughs> it and you're dripping boogers on your stem and you hit something you know like 
stuff happens. Yeah, I well, you know, I hit I hit a stake in a like a wooden stake in a cross race. <laughs> Who put that there? Uh, this year. Oh, and, a wooden uh, stake. What, like I'm yeah, thinking, was, like a bloody like raw. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I didn't. <laughs> What's this doing here? I wasn't impaled or anything, but but the point was that you know. With a November wheel, actually, you know, twenty spoke wheel, and uh, let me tell you, it's a very good wheel. You hit a twenty spoke front wheel at high speed into a stake, and it's going to bend, and and hopefully not between the spokes, but you know, it does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, fronts, you know, so. the, the 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 geometry of the whole thing is that fronts are symmetrical, and and the flanges are spread wider apart. So yes, yeah, you, know. so you can get away with it a little bit better. Yeah. Is that what you're going for? Rear wheels are a horror show of structure. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and getting worse all the time. Every right? like every time. Well, maybe, maybe not now. Disc wheels mm-hmm. have have you know bite. So the your road bike and Greg, your cross bike has a 130 millimeter uh, rear axle mm-hmm. spread, and thankfully, um, it it looks like you know, that battle's over for cross bikes at, at 135. So you've got, you know, what you, you, you can basically push the drive side flange out, you know, an extra millimeter and a half or something, which makes a big difference. So the tension values yeah. between the drive and non-drive side even up a bunch, which is cool. Yeah. So does the disc, I question, does, does, does the disc help, um, because on the one hand you've got less dish, but on the other hand you've got uh, you know worse bracing. Well, the bracing is actually uh, just about the same. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. The flange spread is is just about. I mean, it varies hub to hub, but um, mm-hmm. the hubs that we use, I'm not at that end. But you, you know the the center center flange to center flange is. Uh, is at least as good on most good disc hubs. But the, cool. you know, stuff, there's a lot of stuff that people don't think about, you know. You got chains to angle. Um, so the the reason that's such an easy decision to make on a road bike, I'm sorry, on a cross bike, is that they have relatively longer chain stays. You know, you've got like 425 yep. millimeter chain stays. On a road bike, you're talking about like 405 millimeters, and all of a sudden you you uh, spread the base of that triangle, and 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 the uh, the chain stays are are getting wider quick, and that tortures the chain line, and it smashes your ankles into the, or smashes your heels into the into the chain stay. Um, so that's a bad thing. And then a lot of people sort of got. Uh, you know what's the rotor size going to be and initially it was 140 in a lot of cases and i think a lot of that was driven by you know if you i mean take an extreme case and put like a 205 millimeter rotor on a uh on a cross bike and you're cutting the non-drive side chainstay in half yeah with the rotor there's just (laughs) you know there you're just always pressed for space for this stuff so you know, fortunately in cross bikes, it doesn't seem like you need a very big rotor at all, but especially in the rear. But, uh, you know, in road bikes now, it seems like the UCI is going for 160 on the rotor size, trying to normalize mm-hmm. that. And, 
and then a 135 axle and it's just going to be an interesting piece of design yeah we'll see what happens there so okay so before we wrap up um i think that there's one more thing that we should probably cover because everyone everyone wants to know about um tubeless tires in cyclocross everyone wants to lay that to bed (laughs) (laughs) so we might be burying the lead a little bit here (laughs) (laughs) well we don't need to spend like 45 minutes on it we'll fix it in post (laughs) (laughs) yes seriously well you know i i think that maybe the um one of the uh I, i don't know i don't know what your web traffic is but maybe one of the biggest um kind of presences you've had out there on the web's you know, in, in this fall was, uh, you were involved with the, a whole bunch of testing in, in trying to actually answer this question, mm-hmm. weren't you? Yeah. And, um, okay. So as quickly as I can do, the initial mandate was, does this work or not? And it was that simple, you know, because I yeah. tried it a bunch of times prior, uh, just looking, I mean, the, the benefits of it are, are pretty self-evident, right? You can switch tires. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, and, and really, you don't need to go much further than that. Uh, it's convenient, <laughs> and you can, you know, check the forecast on Wednesday. And Yeah, the tires are cheaper. It's really kind of nice. And, yeah. you know, gluing tires is, is it's kind of hard. You know, you still. I'd say the gluing the tires itself is not so bad, but it's the peeling them and scraping yeah. <laughs> the rims and 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 all yeah. that that. Yeah, and it's yeah. just you know, it's one of these things that's that's going to wind up being a barrier to to people, you know, doing and enjoying cross. Um, but anyway, so the the you know there was a pretty clear benefit available if they worked, and um, you know, two years ago they did not work. They were, they were bad. Um, last year, last year being the, you know, 2014 season, uh, there were some things that worked and then it sort of had the, the, the feeling like, okay, maybe this is the year it works. And, and some tires came out and, uh, rim width actually plays a huge role in the sort of feasibility of of tubeless and cross um it helps a lot but uh so we, we you know we just wanted to sort of set out with uh with that question in mind and then follow on you know if it works what works what combinations work yeah so we had you know somebody greg that you know very well uh who is <laughs> both a, a good cross racer uh, cross rider and uh, and an avowed skeptic of tubeless, which was important for me because I kind of wanted it to work, you know, and I was going to be the other half of it. So, yeah, I, I sort of kind of had to disqualify disqualify myself um, to some degree because I really wanted it to work. Just as a rider, you know, I, I kind of hate tubulars. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, so Mike was a was a really good person, and it also helps that you know, oh, he's got like this crazy engineering mind, and 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 he's a certified psychopath, and will go into rock gardens and stuff like that on his cross bike. So he he did a very very thorough job, and uh, 
I was, yeah, I was with, this is our mutual friend, for anyone in New England, anyway, this is our mutual friend Mike Wassell, um, of, uh, the Kapow team in B2C2, and, and yes, the, the things he is willing to try on a cross bike are, are, uh, frankly, pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did a Blue Hills ride with, you know, complete with axe head rocks and all that, and that's not an exaggeration, it was, it was bonkers. <laughs> So, sorry, go on. So, we said, you know, we just said, all right, I'll take these, you take those. Um, you know, and we had to do sort of a closed set. You can't, you know, the, the, I mean, for one thing, you should see our tire bill for this year. It's like even buying, you know, we didn't have any manufacturers, we didn't tell any manufacturers that we were doing this. Um, right. So, we, we bought this stuff generally through wholesale distribution where it was available to us. Um, but, you know, we paid retail for a lot of tires. And uh, so we split them up, had two, three rims that we used. We used the, the SL23, the SL25, which are both the Pacenti rims, and then the Stans Grail. Um, we just, you know, mm-hmm. got to keep parameters on the thing. So uh, we started testing tires, and some of them failed right out of the gate. You know, you couldn't air them up easily. You couldn't, uh, you know, you could like ride them around the block and they would burp. Um, and then some of them showed a lot of promise and, uh, and you could take them down and take them down and take them down in PSI. And, uh, you know, eventually we got to the point where sort of 22 was our Mendoza line of, are we going to burp this thing? Uh, which I mean, for Colin Reuter, who, if he listens to this or not, um, Colin, yes, if you have UCI points, race on tubulars. Or if you're in danger of having UCI points, race on tubulars. You know, the worlds are probably never going to be one on tubeless. I'm not having that, that argument anymore. I never, <laughs> I was never having that argument. Um, but, uh, so, so that's where tubeless in our experience kind of falls apart just because they they feel so squirmy at that low a PSI. Um, but the suspension really is working for you at, you know, 23, 24. Um, you're, you're, you're able to drive the bike pretty hard and not get your molars rattled out uh, and, you know, maintain traction, do a lot of the good, good stuff. And that was sort of the, the aha moment for me was, stop thinking about it purely in terms of a, of a turning traction thing, but also think of it as a component of the bike suspension. And, uh, and we found a bunch of combos that, that worked really, really well. And, you know, we're going to get right back on the horse, uh, soon enough because there's new stuff coming out all the time, both on the rim front and the tire front. And, you know, it's, it's one of these sort of public good things. You can, go on to, you, you can replicate the setups we, we tested at any, you know, wheel builder or bike shop in the country. So it's not something that was exclusive to us. We sort of did it as a, as a public good. It, it's, you know, it's obviously good for us to be out in front of these things, but it's not like we're saying you have to buy them from us, uh, or else they're doomed to fail. Um, <laughs> Which they might be, but um, well, a lot of these rims are are available from other fine. Oh, they're all, you know, they're all like, yeah. you know, open market. Um, you can buy them, you know, anywhere. Yeah. But uh, but that said, a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, this tire is kind of like that tire, and this rim is kind of like that rim. 
you know, and, and I'm just, I reject that connection. Like what we've tested works. And if you take a grail with, you know, a Hutchinson Toro, that's going to work. Hard to screw it up. But like a, a, a rim that's kind of like a grail and a tire that's kind of like a Toro, Via con Dios, man. I got. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe and maybe not. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be the one kind of the the one part of the frontier that the, the tubeless frontier that is is uh, a little difficult. You need to do your research, right? Like, there's no standards. There are, yeah, there's no standards, and there's some combinations that work great, and there's some combinations um, that don't work at right. all. Uh, you know, I I can confirm the Pacenti SL23 and the Specialized Terras. Uh, those work great Specialized, together. Specialized makes really good tires, by the way. Uh, well, as it turns out, I, I learned this recently, and this is kind of kind of fun. Their current tire design team used to be the people at Continental. Fair enough. Um, so I, I would, you might want to look if you're looking for fast and sticky tires. Uh, you might want to look to Specialized in the, as you know currently, and as things go on, we'll see. Maybe maybe Continental will hire some new um, Wunderkins, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the situation. Yeah, it, it's. It's in, in, you know, I can, I can back up a lot of this. I mean, as uh, you know, and as a lot of um, our listeners know, um, I, I kind of went tubeless as a last resort uh, when it was looking like Night Weasels was going to be real muddy. Um, it turned out not to be muddy, uh, but that's okay. And uh, it worked great, actually, for the rest of the season. I was racing with a tubeless front wheel because I, I mean, this is the tubular thing. I flatted two tubular front tires, and at that point, I was done. Um, I love tubulars, but you know, when, when it's a hundred plus dollars a tire, it, it gets kind of problematic yeah. when you're flatting them all the time. Yeah. And it's, you know, they don't flat all that much, but it does happen. And yeah. you know, this is a thing that is, look, everybody's got a set of training clincher probably. I mean, there may be some daddy warbucks out there who are training on FMBs all the time, but, uh, <laughs> You know, most people are going to train on a clincher, and wouldn't it be great if that thing can be your, you know, B plus solution for race day? If it's a legitimate, you know, gun for you to bring out for a race, yeah. great. The world just Absolutely. got a little better. Yes, it did. Well, that might be a good note to wrap up on. Um, I'd like to thank you. Dave, for com coming on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Kirkpatrick, thanks, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. It's really been fun. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. I don't know. Where can, uh, where can people, you know, get and follow your thoughts or, or perhaps buy your product if they are so inclined? Well, we, we have a website, and it's www.novemberbicycles.com. Uh, and if you want to <laughs> waste a few hours of your life, uh, dig into our blog. It's... Uh, We've written about the equivalent of a 400-page book every year for the past five years now. Uh, and there's some bad jokes in there, and there's some good info in there. It's a, it's, it's a great blog. It's, it's, it's really one of the best um, blogs you'll find at a you know company, a bike company website anywhere. So Thank you. So check it out. Uh, all right. Uh, so with that, this has been WHPP. I've been Greg. Uh, we've also been by... Dave Patrick, and of course, um, Mario. It's been fun. And we will catch you next time. Alright, catch us next time. Listen to us at work, or, uh,
put us on in the happy hour time and uh, open a beverage with us. We've been the Honest Bike Program. Have a good night. <laughs>